0: St. Louis Public Radio's The Gateway gives you the day's news first thing every weekday morning, from the ever-evolving relationship between St. Louis city and county, to developments in the Missouri and Illinois state capitals, and reports from our correspondents in Rolla and the Metro East. We put it all in a roughly 10-minute package with clarity and context. Download The Gateway wherever you get podcasts. It's
1: nice to meet you.
0: Hi. Hi. I thought you'd met.
1: Well, we haven't exactly met, but we have
2: Hi. Hi. But you've what? Well, we've seen each other before. Well, well, that sounds murky. Where? I think they're having their first fight. Yeah, <laughs> the first one since the last week.
1: That's a clip from the iconic gay movie called Boys in the Band. It's from 1970, but Cinema St. Louis is bringing it back as a part of this year's Q-Fest, the Festival of LGBTQ Films.
2: It's going to be the festival's 10th anniversary, and they're going to show a dozen films. Two of them will be classics, and the rest will be contemporary cinema. I'm Willis Ryder Arnold.
1: And I'm Nancy Fowler. And this is Cut and Paste, St. Louis Public Radio's arts and culture podcast. It's kind of a boutique festival that has grown and changed over the years. Chris Clark with Cinema St. Louis is the
0: organizer.
2: So we asked him about QFest's mission and about the ways in which the festival mirrors changes in the culture and the law.
0: It's always been part of my mission to support... Um, ongoing issues, uh, like we've done any number of marriage equality films in this relatively short 10 years. But the narrative has changed so dramatically from the first one we did to was impossible to more recent ones when it was very possible. And then others after that where people were, you know, legally getting married. So that has been weird how that much has changed. I was like the biopics of, uh, you know, famous people uh, like Divine or uh, living and recently deceased uh, gay icons in the community.
2: Given that you've witnessed that change regarding marriage equality, Mm -hmm. how have things kind of changed for the festival over the couple of years that you've been running it?
0: As a programmer, I avoid things that are self-loathing or serial killers or gloomy, dark endings where everybody dies or walks away sad. Not that we don't do dramas and people break up and there's sadness, but I like to... Yeah,
1: there's got to be some sadness. Yeah,
0: (laughs) always. But I like (laughs) to to find things, whether it's narrative or documentary, that are empowering and and speak to hope or a positive future. I have a a queer niece who recently came out a couple years ago who, at her tender years of 18, hasn't seen... The things that I have over time. I just finished When We Rise, uh, the ABC show, sure. which I grew up. My timeline is exactly the storyline of this, but so much of it I didn't know. So, you know, we want to promote um, a sense of, of worth and a sense of, of empowerment and just people being happy being themselves.
1: So when the film festival started in this iteration, mm-hmm. what were some of the first films that were chosen and why?
0: Back in the day when we had very little money, you know, we didn't have very much to spend on um, things like film rental fees and, and shipping and stuff like that. So we had to be a little cautious, but we had some partners that offered us films at, at reasonable prices. Shelter was a film that was produced by the then new Here TV, which was one of the first gay cable channels.
1: Oh wow. what was that one about?
0: About a young um, surfer boy who falls in love with his best friend's older brother and kind of starts his journey that way.
2: I hear you've been hanging out with Sean. <laughs> you know about him, right?
0: What about him? I think we had one of our first marriage equality you? documentaries that year. A series of short subjects oh. by a, um, a punk lesbian filmmaker from Minnesota who was our guest that year. And also, we had another guest, uh, Jamie Babbitt, who, if you don't know that name, she was a director, but I'm a cheerleader. Um, Oh sure. Her IMDb is she's very much into television um, direction and production now, so her IMDb list is is huge with TV list. But um, you know a lot of people remember that film. So she was our guest that year with a um, one of her later films called Itty Bitty Titty Committee, which wasn't quite as good as But I'm a Cheerleader. But you know she was a voice in queer filmmaking, so we were happy to have her there.
1: So But I'm a Cheerleader featured the woman who's now in Orange Is the New Black. In the the starring role, and she was sent away to a camp because she was thought to be Natasha Lyonne. Natasha Lyonne, because she was thought to be gay, and so they her part of her therapy was vacuuming, and cleaning house, and being a homemaker, and wearing pink.
0: Mm -hmm. (laughs) So you know stories like that that are, you know, sometimes the reason that she was sent to this camp was the wrong reason, but you know ultimately it was a comedy and a spoof, and you know things turned out well in the end.
2: One, two, three, four, I won't
0: take no anymore. Five, six, seven, eight, I want you to be my mate. One, two, three, four, you're the one that I adore. Five, six, seven, eight, don't run from me because this is
2: fate. How do you think stories like that kind of get at different aspects of what the LGBTQ experience is for people?
0: You know, none of us can or could have survived without finding some humor in some things, even when it was, you know, dark. And when I came out myself, I was just 18 and this was, you know, you didn't do that then in the late 70s, early 80s. You, you know, you kept that to yourself very much. But I I didn't want to lie anymore. And that's, you know, those I like those kind of stories. It kind of reminds me of a young me. And it's hard. And I champion that for anyone um, and I feel their pain you know, going through their experience. It's much easier now. It was much easier for my niece, for example, than it was for me um, decades ago. But it's still painful to or can be uh, to the parents or relatives or friends. And there's still stigma and there's still hatred. There's still a lot of things that are different. And a lot of things are, you know, it's hard. It's scary to come out and really make a big, dramatic, life-changing change like that is, is a big, big thing.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
2: So what do you see kind of as the importance of really having LGBTQ people represented on the screen?
0: Again, you know, a sense of um, self-worth that, you know, they can deserve to be there just as much as anybody else, to show that they are just like anybody else. They still have jobs and bad days at school or bad days at work. They have relationship problems, Um, you know, it's, it's humanity. Um, just showing that even though people are different and sometimes very different, they're still people, you know, still very much the same.
1: You talked a little bit about the evolution of of the films over the course of the 10 years with regard to marriage. What are some other ways in which the films may have changed or maybe displayed a greater diversity, whether it was the subject matter or perhaps the filmmakers themselves became more diverse? How has that evolved?
0: In in many ways, um, like the transgender um, films, which... Were you know like a unicorn of, of sorts that now there are transgender filmmakers, not just clumsy films about what people with no real life experience thought it was like to be that way. Uh, if we go way back to like the Children's Hour, where they couldn't even say the words, Shirley MacLaine and um, Audrey Hepburn, it was from the Lillian Hellman book. Right. This was 1961, so they couldn't say what they were, but they hinted around, and you kind of knew, but they really tap danced around it.
1: You were a dear friend who was loved, that's all. Certainly there can be nothing wrong with that. It's perfectly natural that I should be fond of you. Why, we've known each other since we were 17, and I always thought that... Why are you saying all of this?
0: And even in the dramatic hanging um at the end and of course they had that to end, was tragically yeah that was why yeah it, and that's the kind of films i i don't like that somebody killed themselves because they're gay or they harm themselves or they you know that's that's not the right message religion has changed a lot too you know for every film that there is like the kidnap for christ where it's a horrible example of religious persecution then there are films um i'm blanking on the title but um about the bishop from Massachusetts who bucked the system and and, and stood his ground to, to be a, a gay pastor. It's it's an endless series of arguments and, and I can't ignore that people feel very strongly about their faith and they feel very strongly about what is right and wrong. There are um, more people in the community that are, are feel freer to express their faith and, and stay in the faith and in more regardless of the faith yeah and more religions have become whether it's muslims or judaism or anything there are more religions that have become more open uh about the topic too where you know it seems like it's much more open and welcoming across across the, the religious spectrum
2: there's a term that people are using a lot more in common parlance i know it's been around for a while the idea of intersectionality and i'm curious how has the film fest kind of either embraced or navigated that terminology when it's doing its programming?
0: We try as much as we can from year to year to touch all of the letters of the sometimes changing list of number of letters involved. Um, <clears throat> um, we have a very short, small slate, so we can't, there's only like 12 or 15 films each year, so we can't do everything, but we try to um, touch on diversity, we try to touch on all When you say aspects. diversity, what do you mean? Um, Ethnic, religious, you know, as, as much as possible. Um, you know, this being a very um, black and white city, um, we try to have as much ethnic diversity and show from, you know, uh, <clears throat> not just black and white, but there's, you know, films from, we have some international films each year and sometimes, uh, you know, Mexican, French, Spanish. We try to show a world perspective um, as well. Um, intersectionality is is tough because there's always people are still people, even if you're part of the same community, doesn't mean, um, as When We Rise showed us so much, that people still fight. Um, Even if you're part of the same community, you're still going to have arguments about directions and purpose. And so it's always a fascinating dance.
1: Are there some films that have either been in the festival or just out there in general that were once heralded as, you know, being very positive for the LGBTQ community, but later when new information and new attitudes came to light, they were kind of, mm, well, maybe that's not so good. Le- do Le- you have Le- a specific film in mind? Um, I'm
2: just curious. I've encountered some conversations about like the film Paris is Burning, mm-hmm. which was initially really embraced. And I know now when the filmmaker has gone to a couple different campuses to speak, people have said that the initial portrayal of people in that movie has been slightly transphobic. When you're putting together a film festival, how do you try and anticipate questions of changing attitudes?
0: I try not to think about them too deeply, but I, you know, try to be conscious of them. You know, that's just part of the Hollywood system where a person of a diff- certain ethnicities isn't always played that way in the films. And, you know, there weren't, you know, even when Boys Don't Cry um, came out, there wasn't a, a, an easily found list of transgender actors or actresses. So it, it's it's a valid criticism on some levels, but, you know, there weren't, who would they have gone to? And then flash forward, you know, all these years later, um, films like Tangerine, which had transgender stars. Um, Orange is the New Black, Laverne Cox. I mean, she was Frank in, uh, in Rocky Horror on, on ABC, too.
2: How do you do I?
0: See you've met my faithful hinderman. He's just a little brought down because you not? He thought you we were the cat you know these are uh, tidal vast changes from what was accepted um, whether people would have been truly out and open about that without fear of being you know murdered when they walk down the street which is still valid uh, but it's it's easier now to be yourself than ever before but on the flip side of that it's also you know being out and open means you can potentially be more of a target.
1: Um, so this year, you're bringing back two, you know, oldies, um, The Boys in the Band, from, I think 1970, and then Desert Hearts from 85.
0: Mm-hmm. An iconic film. It was at Sundance. Um, it was at the midst of the 80s queer cinema revolution where it wasn't, the, you know, part of the evolution was like uh, the um, children's hour was in the 60s and you couldn't say anything. Boys in the Band, however, as kind of creaky and dated as it is now was revolutionary it was completely in your face out and open it was based on an off-broadway play that somehow got turned into this movie and directed by if you know this not william friedkin who later directed the french uh, lieutenant and um, exorcist and and all these other crazy films and then also cruising with al pacino but this was the early 70s this was you know They have this film out like that and it's just, it's so raw and outrageous and, you know, no holds barred and devolves into this terribly mean, catty game that they play at this party. You know, the trailer makes you think it's more of a comedy than it really is and parts of it are very funny, but it's, you know, really quite a document. Forget your troubles, come on, get happy. You better chase all your cares away. What's more boring than a queen doing a Judy Garland imitation? A queen doing a Betty Davis imitation, and then what about the classic film Desert Hearts? In the eighties, then there was this whole you know kind of launch of uh, films like uh, Parting Glances and things like that that were were very out and open and, and weren't hiding anything, um, and this was was one of them. And you know this this woman woman filmmaker was at Sundance with this lesbian film, um, so it would be much more commonplace today, um, but then it was you know. Still new, sadly, uh, that it was new and, and fresh and you know exciting, and it was a period piece, you know, set in the fifties. So there was you know they had to act a certain way because that's how things were back then. But right. How many films like uh, lesbian love stories like that were there at that time?
1: Not many. Not many. Yeah. Okay. Is there some value in people watching these films that may maybe are are campy or very much hark back to the past? They're not really something that will make sense in the present. But is there some value in watching them together, even if people have seen them before?
0: It is you know education uh, a little bit of history to show people uh especially younger people like my niece or people even in their 20s who are even 30s who you know may not have who grew up during will and grace and things that were there and easy and open and you know don't remember or only read in a history book uh what it was like when things like that weren't available so um it's it's fun we think it's educational uh, fits very well with our mission to show, you know, where we've been as much as where we're going. Could either of these films be made today? Desert Hearts probably could. I don't know if they would make Boys in the Band again.
2: You've mentioned your niece a couple times during mm-hmm. our conversation and I'm really curious what it's like to be of one generation and programming both from the perspective of that generation but also looking to offer something to younger folks as well.
0: It's a, it's a challenge because, you know, I'm of a certain age now and I don't want to just rest on that and program things that I think are are smart and wonderful. I want to be able to, you know, we do it for, not for ourselves, we do it for the community. You know, ultimately, uh, it's for the community and for the the greater good and not just, it's also for anybody who would like to just sort of, of, you know, see a story about people, being people.
1: What is the value of people watching together? These films rather than just being in their individual living rooms and watching them or on their bed with their computer.
0: That's the unquantifiable magic of sitting in a darkened theater with your peers. But during Past QFest, you know, it is special that most of the audience is themselves part of the gay community. That you can watch these stories and enjoy together as a group and not worry about anyone else bothering you or making fun of you, that people are there for the same purpose. I think it, it makes an, a sense of empowerment, um, just kind of sharing these things, like going to a Pride Fest, that you can you know stand tall and be amongst your people um, and, and enjoy something.
2: You brought up a movie earlier, I Am Divine, as one that you particularly enjoy. I'm curious why you gravitate to that or what you find really captivating about that film or any others that are on the slate this year.
0: Divine is just this larger-than-life, fat, weird drag queen that, you know, was such a big John Waters star and internationally recognizable and unwittingly became a kind of a passive activist.
2: People like to laugh at sex. People like to laugh at dirty things, and
0: people love to be shocked, I think. You make my nips get hard. <laughs> so that's my job, to get out there and shock them. People saw him just enjoying his life People felt that they could be more of themselves. They didn't have to be model pretty or picture perfect, that he just loved being life and loved being himself so much that it, it, it encouraged other people to let them freak flags fly, so to speak, and, and, and be themselves. It's a lesser place without um, somebody like Divine's just huge energy and, and life force just being out there. You know, I, I, I sobbed a little bit when Divine passed away.
2: Is there anything else you'd wanna make as a recommendation before we wrap this up to people who might be coming to Q-Fest for their first time and might be looking for a few specific films to see.
0: You don't have to be gay for one thing. You don't have to be anybody but yourself. They
1: don't check that at the door.
0: No, they don't check that at the door. You know, as long as you have your $13 or or $10 if you're a student, then, you know, please come enjoy these films. And like I said, you know, a bunch of times, they're mostly entertaining. Some of them have stars in it. Like our opening night film, Love Song, has uh, Jenna Malone and Riley Keough as a, you know, tender dramatic love story. And a lot of it's just plain fun. There's a really nice, uplifting documentary called Real Boy about a 19-year-old female-to-male transgender boy who wants to be a rock star and is actually a very good singer and and guitar player who is struggling to get his first surgery um, to have his breast removed. And his mother was quasi-supportive, but, you know, comes along throughout the course of the film. So it's just an empowering, uplifting look at somebody who just stuck to their guns and, and struggled a little bit but, but made a change. Oh, and also I've forgotten about this, um, The Untold Tales of Armistead Maupin, a documentary about the beloved writer of all the tales of the city books. It's just a nice to see you know, from his roots in a very conservative Southern South Carolina family to you know his big move out to San Francisco and how he you know, wrote these tales and uh, has touched so many lives across the land and across the world.
1: That was Chris Clark. He's the artistic director at Cinema St. Louis. That's the presenter of the QFest, which is the festival of LGBTQ films.
2: As we mentioned earlier, it's a boutique film festival, which means that attendance is roughly about 400 people on average, and the high is about 750. But it actually pays for itself. One reason why is because groups like AARP in St. Louis buy out entire screenings like they did this year for Desert Hearts.
1: And all the screenings this year are at Zach Performance Space, which is new in the Grand Center area. Individual tickets are $13, with the exception of a few shows that are sponsored and free to the public. The festival continues through April 2nd. This is Cut and Paste, St. Louis Public Radio's arts and culture podcast, produced by Stephanie Lecce and Willis Ryder Arnold.
2: And Nancy Fowler, with help from our editor, David Casares.
1: You can find Cut and Paste at stlpublicradio.org or wherever you get your podcasts.
0: St. Louis Public
2: Radio's podcast series, Cut and Paste, is made possible by space architects, designers, and builders, creating St. Louis's favorite spaces.
0: If you have a smart speaker, you have access to the entire world of NPR and St. Louis Public Radio. All the latest news and all the captivating stories. Activate our voices with yours by telling your smart speaker to play St. Louis Public Radio.